As biblical Christians celebrate Jesus' victory over death and put their confidence in their own future resurrection based upon Christ's promise, what are they so excited about? Why doesn't God simply allow those who have died to remain some kind of disembodied spirit without all this stress on taking on a new body? Let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, as he exposes the conclusion to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in a study he has titled, Full Bloom. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then 1 Corinthians 15 says that the essence of our faith is the fact that Christ rose again from the dead. Now, as I've talked to people down through the years about the resurrection, one of the things that's always raised, in fact, it was raised just a couple weeks ago. Dave, are you telling me that God's going to take all these decaying bones, like on the news the other day, they found a bunch of bones down in Cleburne, I think it was, and they had a great big uh, police investigation about it, and they, on the news they had this gruesome thing of having all these human bones put out on a hill. You mean to tell me, Dave, that God's going to get all those bones... And he's going to gather them together and he's going to resuscitate us. In other words, he's going to resurrect us like he did with Lazarus. He's going to take someone that's in the grave, in the grave clothes, and he's going to resuscitate them. Kind of like a prolonged, a very long artificial respiration. He's going to bring them back to life, bring all that stuff back together again. And then someone says, okay, now that's not too hard to imagine of people that have been buried. And we don't usually think that much about the fact that the person becomes dust and we still have a remembrance of what their body was like. But then someone says, what about those people that were eaten at sea? I mean, they died at sea and they threw them overboard and Jaws came along. And a little piece of Harry ended up in the Indian Ocean. And another piece ended up in the Pacific Ocean because Jaws 1 was swallowed by Jaws 2. And it goes on that we've got little bits of Harry involved in all of these different sea creatures all over the world. And the skeptic laughs and says, you Christians believe in Easter. You believe in a resurrection. Man alive, that's impossible. It's just like the old Pharisee, uh, the old Sadducees. They laughed at the belief of the, of the resurrection because they said, you know, how could we ever be raised? And then they used the illustration of a, of a dear lady that killed seven of her husbands. Uh, she didn't murder them. Evidently, she was hard to live in because she just kept bopping off. Every one of her husbands kept dying. And when in the resurrection, the Sadducees said, whose wife would she be? She was married to all seven of these fellas. It's the same old story. Some of you are sitting out there and you say, man alive, this resurrection story doesn't make any sense. And today I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 35, because the Apostle Paul is going to deal with just that skeptic's question when in verse 35 of chapter 15 he says this. But someone may ask, the fellow that I've been talking about, someone may ask, how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come and that's the question that we want to answer today what do we really mean by resurrection 
And second of all, what kind of a body are believers going to have when they are raised? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I would pray that you would help each one of us to be believers like Mark. Father, it's very easy for us as we look at the spring flowers blossoming, we think of the unbelievable power of new life in the springtime to take that for granted. But I pray that you will help us to realize that as the author of creation, that you are literally proclaiming to us, you are screaming to us, that it is totally foolish, totally naive, to think that a bulb-like, ugly existence just in this life is all there is. And Heavenly Father, I would pray that you would help us not just to speak orthodox ideas about the resurrection, but, oh, Lord, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe, breathe through my personality and breathe into this group and make it a very special time for growth in our faith, for a more clear understanding of what you're really teaching about the resurrection. So take your Holy Spirit and use his word through the Apostle Paul to help us understand that resurrection is not resuscitation. Help us to understand that with God all things are possible. And Lord, I just would pray that maybe someone that's been like Willie and living just in the winter of life, not having any hope for life everlasting, thinking it was very realistic and very avant-garde and intellectual, I'd ask you, Lord, that they would realize that you have a special message for them, that your son, Jesus Christ, genuinely in history conquered death. And he's alive in creation today. In the presence of his spirit, he's here with us. And he wants to confront each and every one of us with his love, with his transforming power, with the hope of eternal life that will last forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, Paul goes on to deal with the Corinthian problem, which was a skeptical belief about the resurrection. Very possibly they believed in a, a, a spiritual resurrection in the sense that your personality goes on. In fact, to be honest with you, there's very few of us in the audience that could really hold that when we die, that's just the end. People like to talk like that, but I've never done a funeral where people said, oh, that's it. You know, don't worry about it. We don't need to worry about any funeral director. That's just it. We don't need a service or anything. Just end it and let the good times roll. Now, I've heard of a few services that were like that. I've never done one like that. We all get very religious at funerals. And when someone that we've loved dearly is gone, we talk about them going, about them being gone, but we don't talk about them just being annihilated. Even in philosophy, very few human beings down through the centuries have held that when you die, that's just zip. That's it. Most people have an idea that the spirit floats into the great nothingness and somehow exists or becomes part of the great world spirit or maybe our personality goes to live in another area, that kind of idea. Now, what I want you to understand is that philosophy will teach that. Jesus Christ teaches something quite different. Jesus Christ teaches that you 
sitting there with a body aren't going to live forever if you follow him. And he is the first fruit. He was the first bulb that was planted in the human race that really became a lily. All other human beings that have been raised from the dead were resuscitated like Lazarus. Like some of the Old Testament story, the, the widow of Nain in the New Testament, her son was resuscitated to prove that Jesus really had the power, but nobody yet except Jesus Christ has really been resurrected. And that's what Paul wants to talk to us about this morning. And I want you to get this thing clearly in your mind. Our belief in the resurrection is not a belief in resuscitation. Some of you without hair, which seem to be a dominant thing in our storytelling today, if you were resuscitated, you would get balder and balder and balder. And you would get uglier and uglier and uglier. It'd be like some of the horror movies you've seen when people get older and older and older and older and they just end up being an ugly dust clod. But they're still alive. That would be horrible. It's not what we're celebrating this morning. We're celebrating not resuscitation, but a marvelous transformation that makes the transformation from an ugly bulb to a beautiful Easter lily just small potatoes, just small stuff. Look what Paul says. He begins with God in verse 36. You see, when you raise the skeptical questions, how are the dead raised? What kind of a body will they have? Paul begins by focusing our mind on the fact that with God, all things are possible. And if you don't take God into account, you're going to be foolish. Now, I'm not calling you foolish. If you don't believe in the resurrection today, as taught in 1 Corinthians 15, you are foolish. But I'm not calling you that. God is. Because in my own strength, I'm just as foolish as you. But what Paul wants us to understand is that if you don't believe that there's an eternal life found in Jesus, if you don't believe there's a transformation, you're saying, this is all I'm ever going to be. I am this ugly bulb, and I'm going to go for it as an ugly bulb, and I'm going to have all the good times I can as an ugly bulb, but that's all there is. And if you think about it, if you were an ugly bulb talking with another bulb, early in the fall and in the early winter, it would look very realistic. I mean, who would ever believe this could become that? That's crazy. But none of you think it is crazy. In fact, it's just everyday, normal, fall, winter, spring. But think about it. If this was the only existence that you'd seen, and all you had was a promise of that, then you would say, Mark's very naive. A lot of the people that you work with think this whole thing is just a bunch of religious hocus-pocus, some big dream. And what I want to understand is that a lot of churches are falling into the area where it is, just kind of a nice story, a nice dream. What I want you to understand this morning is that that's not going to help you. It's not going to give life to your entire being. It's not going to cause you to have a meaning for living. So Paul's telling us, no, it's not just a story. It's not just something I made up. It's true. 
And he says, you're foolish if you don't believe it. I don't care if you have a PhD. I don't care if you've read philosophy like crazy. If you don't believe that man's going to go from this to this, then you're the one that has a problem and not my little girl that sings, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So Paul says, how foolish not to believe. Then he tells us why it's foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. Now, I might do this. I might take this beautiful lily and plant it. But that would be foolish. It's not what we do. We take the bowl and we plant that. That's what Paul's bringing out. Now, notice what he says. We take wheat or something else, and it's just a seed. Verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. What Paul is saying is, in this springtime, all of you that are farmers, all of you that are gardeners, take a look at the seeds that you planted. How many of you have planted seeds this spring? What did the seeds look like? Beautiful, aren't they? Majestic, glorious. How many of you have ever looked like at a, at a, a lettuce seed? And God, what an unbelievably beautiful nothing. <sighs> you see, there's nothing glorious about it. But you all, you all sowed that seed. And what Paul is telling us is that in the normal flow of sowing and reaping, there's an unbelievable miracle that takes place. And if you're a biologist this morning, then you ought to be a Christian biologist as a botanist, you should be a Christian botanist because you know what Paul said? Paul is saying that if God stopped doing his thing, we wouldn't have any springtime. Because Paul is saying that God is involved in his creation and he's saying that he gives a body. He creates lilies. That's one body, really a beautiful one. And he creates lettuce, not quite as majestic as lilies. He creates wheat. And the farmers up in Kansas will sow hundreds of acres of wheat. And when we go up there this summer, early in the summer, you'll drive through those wheat fields and they'll be beautiful, headed out, unbelievably beautiful. And Paul is saying that God is the one that gave those bodies. So what is he telling to us? What we taught the children. He's saying if you don't believe in resurrection, look around you. We're not talking about resuscitating old bulbs. We're talking about producing lilies. We're talking about producing heads of wheat. We're talking about all the wonder that takes place in the marvelous, not resuscitation, but transformation. Second of all, that's one illustration. Seed and harvest. Bulbs and beautiful lilies. Verse 39 tells us something else. If you look around... There's all different kinds of bodies, all different categories of bodies. I'm not talking about beautiful bodies and ugly bodies. I'm talking about different kinds of bodies that are adapted for right where they live. Look what it says in verse 39. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another and fish another. In other words, you've got one kind of body. Fish have another one just to get something quite different. The fish's body is really adapted for living underwater. 
How is your body adapted for living underwater? It would be impossible for you as a human being to live underwater. But it's impossible for a fish to live in the air. And what the scripture is telling us here is that just as certainly as God gave you a physical body that's specifically adapted for life on this planet, for breathing air, for eating food, and just like he gave fish just the right body to live in the water, by analogy, Paul is telling us we're going to be given a body which we're going to find out later in this text, is a spiritual body, which doesn't mean it's not real, but it means it is different, that's not adapted to live in this earth, but is adapted to live in the heavenly earth. You know, I always feel sorry for our astronauts. I really do. I, I really feel sorry. You know, I can't think of anything more confining than being an astronaut. I mean, you go out into almost never-ending space, weightlessness, and there's beautiful sights to see. But man alive, you got to stay in this little capsule. you got to put on this monkey suit. And all that you do is keep taking planet Earth somewhere else. I mean, you got to have the pressure of planet Earth. you got to have the food of planet Earth. you got to have the air of planet Earth. I mean, all you do is just keep taking a little bit of Earth with you. You see, the idea is not to take planet Earth out there. And they're just jumping small stuff. I mean, it's nothing to go from this part of God's creation into another part of God's creation. The really big thing is to go from this present time-space world, jump everything, and jump into eternity. Now, that would be something. But we don't have a body that's ready to handle it. And you know what the Lord is telling us? He's saying, listen, I'm wise enough to give you, a human being, the right kind of a body to live on the earth, a fish the right kind of body to live in the water, a bird the right kind of body to live in the sky, to fly in the sky. One day I'm going to give you the right kind of a body to fly with me for all of eternity. That's what Paul's underlying point is. Thirdly, first the analogy of the seed, second of all the analogy of all the different kinds of flesh that there is. Using flesh, not in a negative way in this text, but of all the different kinds of bodies there are. Thirdly, let's compare the present body to the future body. Look at verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The stars differ from star and splendor. The Apostle Paul took us, first of all, into the garden, out into a field. Then he takes us into a botany classroom, or, or really a zoology classroom, and shows us all the different kind of flesh of the different animals. Thirdly, he takes us into astronomy. He says, go outside. And he says, look up at the heavens. Now look at all the different radiance. The radiant light of the sun, the glorious light of the sun. And what Paul is alluding to here, he's saying, one day, born-again believers are going to shine like the sun. We have little glimpses of it in expressions that we use from time to time. A girl's all dressed up, ready to go to a, you know, like a real big party, like 
you know, the uh, junior, senior prom or something like that. She's all dressed up, and her mom comes running in, and she doesn't say it, but it's her grandmother that says it. She's radiant. She better be. It costs big bucks. But grandmother will say, oh, she's just radiant. Now, the date doesn't usually get everything together like that because he's a little bit too uptight to say something like that. But you know the language we use. What a star. Just radiated. Or there was just light there. There's just something there. We use expressions in English about stardom, about glory, about radiance. The bride was radiant. And Paul is saying, look up at the stars. You think there's something? Somebody was telling us the other day about seeing one of their satellites. They added to the glory of the sky even without knowing it. One of their satellites came down and burned up in the atmosphere. It looked like July 4th, right up in the heavens. There's nothing more beautiful than to go up like in the Adirondack Mountains where I was raised, where there's no smog, the lights in New York are 250 miles away, and there's no lights within miles upon miles of those mountains. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, we used to go out on a speedboat and lie right up on the hull and look up, just lie there for a half an hour, an hour at a time, and you could just see the whole Milky Way just stretching out and the radiance and the glory of the heavens. And you know what Paul is saying? There's different glories of the heavens. One day, you're going to be more radiating than even the brightest star. God told Daniel, those that are righteous will shine like the, tell me, the stars, tell me. Those that are righteous will shine like the stars forever. So Paul uses three analogies. One, he uses what we use with the children, the seed analogy, the bulb analogy. He says, we're not going to resuscitate old bulbs. We're going to make beautiful lilies. Second of all, you can trust God. He gave all different kinds of bodies to different kinds of creatures here on earth. Trust him. He'll give you the right kind of a body to make it in heaven, to live in an eternal world. And thirdly, that transformation is going to be unbelievable because you're going to become glorious. And then he spells it out without any analogies. He just tells us about this transformation in verses 42 and following. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. You've got my illustrations. Now let me tell you what I'm talking about. The body that is sown is perishable. If we die, the body that we have is perishable. One of the ugly real realities of human existence is it is beautiful as you look today, you're perishing. Mary asked me one of the, one, a very awful question yesterday. She says, have I changed as much as you have changed? Man, it just plunged me into despair and disaster. You know, what am I supposed to say to that? Yes, you've changed just as gloriously as I have. And then she'll laugh for the next three hours, right? We're all perishing. We're all perishing. Bunch of guys get up here on Tuesday playing indoor soccer. Boy, for moments of time, there's flashes of college glory. And then there's the agony of defeat. <laughs> because we're all perishing. The neat thing about being a believer is that you realize you're going to perish for a little while. And the ultimate perishing for this physical body is when we die. 
And Mary and I have been there, and a lot of you have been there. One of the worst downs, one of the ugliest pains, one of the most severe sledgehammer blows is to put a loved one in the grave. It's perishing. And I've shared with you in the past that when Mary and Mary's dad and I, Dr., uh, Pastor Van Camp and I were in the Holy Land looking at an archaeological reproduction of a dig. And they had a dig that was done where they discovered some bones that were about 3,000 years old in the Rockefeller Museum. It was all set up. And I had gone through the museum looking at all the exhibits, looking at all the jewelry, and said, well, it doesn't look that much different from what you know, is present today and everything. And I just kind of left Dad behind. And then I looked back, and he was standing in front of this glass case, and he was weeping. I went over to him. I said, what's the matter, Dad? He said, look at that. And I looked, and there was a grave with the decaying bones. And he just began to sob and says, my boy, that's what's happening to him. Paul says, no. Just physically but not in reality, because what is sown perishable is going to be raised imperishable. And that changes darkness to light. It changes tears of ugly, gloomy despair and cynicism and a philosophy and a way of looking at life that will ruin everything that counts into glorious dawn. Praise God. What a confidence. I pray that each of you will read over 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in thinking about the resurrection, begin to experience this glorious dawn in your heart. Hope you can listen again next week as Dave will continue to talk about the imperishable existence we can now enjoy in Christ. Until then, remember, he left the tomb behind. So can you by simply trusting Him.